This morning we're continuing sermons from the book of Hebrews. And if you're joining us for the first time or if you've missed a few weeks, um, just in the way of context, as this morning we have a a pretty weighty subject we're going to consider together. But in the way of context, Hebrews is a sermon letter written, we believe, to a young Christian community where some, due to persecution and suffering, considered abandoning their faith in Jesus to return to a more comfortable, familiar, and culturally accepted practice of Jewish religion. The sermon letter is filled with hard words and warnings, as well as hopeful words of true encouragement to persevere in the faith, to hold on to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the context of our book. And this morning, I'm going to read from chapter 3, actually going back to pick up some verses that we did here last week, but now continuing to the end of chapter 3. A somewhat lengthy reading, but very important. So give your attention to God's Word. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house. And we are His house if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, They shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As just has been said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was He angry For 40 years, was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Strong words of warning, 
Very confusing language for some, especially in a culture that does not understand God's way of covenant and the attributes of God being a covenant-keeping God who calls his people to do the same. So let's pray that God will bless our understanding of his word. Lord, would you take these words written long ago about events that happened long ago, and would you help us to understand them now in the present? And Lord, would you do that in such a way that even benefits this church and its members into the future to our children and our children's children, that we would never forget this lesson from history and what we're supposed to take from it. So, Lord, do this. We ask, we humbly ask, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, those of you who have ever been a child, which would be all of you, those of you who have children now or have had children recently, I'm going to believe that you have had conversations in your house that sounded something like this, whether you were the child or the adult. Child says to the parent, can I have dessert? The parent answers responsibly and says, if you eat all of your vegetables, you may have dessert. Or a child says, mom, can Timmy come over and spend the night? And mom says, if you clean your room and do your chores first. And the child responds, yay, mommy said yes, right? And mommy said, no, I said, if you do your chores first, Timmy can come over. Or child says, dad, can I go do such and such on Saturday? Dad says, if you cut the grass on Friday, you can go do that on Saturday. Now, through the ears of a child, and I remember this being this way with my parents, um, they give you an answer that says, if you do this, then yes. And the child hears, yes. They said yes. And parents have that conversation of teaching their children about conditions, contingencies. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't run out of the door having misheard what I just said. Don't misrepresent the yes. I said, if you do this, then this will be true. So this is all obviously related to our passage this morning in Hebrews chapter 3. Various other passages we've already heard uh, in, in the service this morning. And numerous passages that we won't even be able to address in a short sermon this morning. But for our understanding and to help us grow in our understanding, I'm going to call it this. The big if. The big if of covenant conditionality. That is the topic of chapter 3 that the author is pressing on these Christians who are thinking about walking away. He is reminding them of the ifs, the ifs of the covenant. And he's warning them with a lesson from history. So for, first, before we jump into some of the nuggets here in chapter 3, just a couple of big sweeping umbrella uh, context-giving statements. The Bible story of God's promise to Abraham was to be Yahweh, the God of the covenant. 
I am and I always will be your God. A God to you and to your children and to your children's children. That story unfolds in the rest of Scripture. It's an unfolding story of the covenant promise. And throughout that unfolding of that story, we have lessons, lesson after lesson after lesson of God's faithfulness to His promise. And we have lesson after lesson after lesson of Israel, God's people's waywardness, their proneness to wander. And then in all of that, we learn story after story, event after event, promise after promise as God reveals himself, the conditions of his covenant, the if-then statements of God's workings with his people. Now, I have about nine verses I was going to read, but that wouldn't be helpful to hear that all at once. So I'm going to take excerpts and give you about three brief passages. And I want you just listening that this is not new. These are not new concepts. This is Old Testament. This is New Testament. This if-then conditional language that God works with his covenant people. First, from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, a very popular verse. Probably not very well understood, but listen to this. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Verse 17, the Lord says, As for you, my covenant people, if you walk before me faithfully as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws... Then I will establish your royal throne as I have covenanted with David, your father, when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. Then verse 19. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land. Jumping to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 2. What we heard in our reflection or saw in our reflection this morning. By this gospel, Paul says, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And then one more bonus one, Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And so you see, Old Testament knew this has been the theme throughout God's revealing of himself and his relationship with his people. He declares with authority, this is who I am. This is the parameters of our relationship, and you have duties and responsibilities that you and your children are supposed to uphold. And don't stray to those from the left, don't stray from those to the right, but keep the path and you will be blessed. So that's the language, this conditional language, this 
if-then covenant conditionality from the Bible. And remember, the author is using this. He's going there for pastoral reasons. He's giving them sobering words because they really are thinking about letting go of their profession of faith in Christ. And what he does now, I'll give you two points, well, three from here on. What the author to the Hebrews does is he tells them, you need to remember history. You need to remember your people's history. He gets historical on them. And those parentheses that you saw or that you see in your Bible, those are quotations because he's quoting from Psalm 95. And Psalm 95 gives a summary of the Lord's working with His covenant people and their waywardness in the wilderness. Episodes from Numbers chapter 10 through 14. Episodes from Exodus, the teen chapters in Exodus. There are all these accounts of Israel's unfaithfulness to God. And I'd encourage you to read those today or this week. Go back and read from Exodus and from Numbers, these stories of the wilderness. And and I would hope that all of this kind of comes together nicely uh, for your understanding of what this author is doing and why he's doing it. So in those passages, which are too long to read, I'll, I'll just briefly summarize some of the events there. These are stories of God proving Himself faithful to every promise He had ever made to deliver them from bondage, to provide for them instruction, His Torah, His law. His delivering them from enemies. He's feeding them manna, bread from heaven. His providing for them water from a rock. His parting of seas for their good and their, and their deliverance. Story after story after story of Yahweh's faithfulness to His promise. But the people turn against the Lord very quickly. And there are episodes that you'll read there of stories of hunger, stories of thirst, and really stories of fatigue. And isn't it true that those three things destroy every one of us and our attitudes pretty quickly. Hunger, thirst, and just fatigue, just being tired. It was General Patton who said, and then Vince Lombardi repeated, he says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. A lot of football coaches like to quote that going into the fourth quarter. When people just feel like giving up, they're tired, they want to quit. Fatigue makes cowards of us all. And if you've been a parent driving a car with little children in the back seat, you've seen how thirst and hunger will turn your car against you, right? You never give us anything to eat. You never give us anything to drink, children will say, when they're hangry or when they're thirsty. And this is exactly how Israel had postured its heart towards the Lord. They begin to grumble and complain. Grumble and complain first against Moses. But the passage makes it very clear. You don't just grumble against God's anointed servant. You grumble against God's anointed servant and you're actually grumbling against God Himself. 
who was the speaker through that instrument that Moses was. And so Exodus 15, 24, Numbers 12, 1, Numbers 14, 2, they're the stories of the people turning against the Lord and saying things essentially like this. God's not being good to us. Why is God not being good to us? To us, of all people, why is He not being good to us? And the Lord responds with anger. Now, you know, there are several times in the Bible that it talks about the Lord being angry. And it's always just righteous anger towards sin. And that's the language used here. That the Lord's anger burned against His people because they dared to say the one true, faithful, covenant-keeping God, they declared Him to be unfaithful, breaker of His promises, not good to His people. And it says, the passage, and this is sobering, says the Lord's anger burned against them, and now, in that covenant relationship, He adds a new promise. And it should make us shudder, Because this is the nature of our God, and this is what He did and what He said. It says, I swear that this generation in the desert, those 20 years and older, will never enter my rest, the promised land. Did you know that? Now, if you continue reading in these Old Testament stories, you're going to see why this author is emphasizing this to these people. So what came of Israel from the moment of that promise? Did you know this? They wandered for a full 40 years. And they did not enter the promised land until every male, 20 and older, was deceased. And during those 40 years, they did not circumcise their children. They were literally walking in the wilderness without a mark of God's favor. That's when you read in Joshua chapter 5, which I would encourage you to go read, the Lord now takes those little ones who have now grown up. They are uncircumcised adults. He delivers them. They are suspect to being attacked by enemy hand. And the very first thing the Lord says is, now stop what you're doing and be circumcised. I'm returning my favor and my promise to the children of my children. And for us, it is is a beautiful picture of God's mercy, but it makes you shudder to think of what holy judgment looks like. And that's why the author of Hebrews is reminding them of their history. He wants them to know, look, there have been a people who hardened their hearts to the one true God before. And it did not go well for them. Don't be those people. Don't make that mistake. Your grumbling, complaining heart towards Yahweh is evidence that you are on the brink of making a huge mistake. I read this last week. I'll read it again. Rick Phillips in his commentary on Hebrews says this. A complaining heart is an indicator of unbelief. When we grumble about God's handling of our affairs, it reveals that we doubt His wisdom and goodness, His power to lead and protect us. In short, we doubt His worthiness to be trusted as our God. And that angers 
the Lord. So we have got to, as we said last week, guard our hearts, discern our hearts, discern the hearts of those living under our household, and see to it that none of us has a hardening, sinful heart that turns away from the living God. That's the author's application to his own sermon. You and I need to know, when we read these stories of of Old Testament Israel, um, we can't be like, oh man, they were so bad. I'm so glad we're not like them. It's like looking through a family photo album when you see a picture of your your great-great-grandfather who you never knew, but you realize you have his smile or you have his hairline. See, we have the traits of our spiritual ancestors, our, our predecessors. We've got the spiritual DNA of these people who hardened in their hearts towards God, and it can happen to us. And we are told to guard against it, to warn against it, because that spiritual DNA is in every one of us. So point number one, we need to remember history. He gives a historical lesson for a reason. Point number two, why? Why why look at history? Because history tends to repeat itself, right? Uh, It was a Harvard philosopher, Santayana. I found out who made that statement originally. Santayana was his name. Um, He said, I'll read the exact quote, those who do not remember the past are likely to repeat it. And we now know that as as a wise saying, and we probably say it in in our lives. The author to the Hebrews, to the sermon letter, is saying you need to know the past, remember the past, because we tend to repeat it. And don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake mistake. And we do know history does tend to repeat itself, doesn't it? Uh, Within the last year and a half, two years, we started to see articles in the news that were comparing Vladimir Putin to Peter the Great and to Hitler. And in the last, what is it, six months now, I can't remember the length of time, there are a lot of similar movements, seizing of territories, strategies for strengthening oneself. It's like we've seen things like this in this world before. We know that history tends to repeat itself. And when you see things lining up in a certain direction and you remember the past, it can be a sobering, helpful reminder. And so that is why this sermon letter has been written and why he takes these warning tones that he does. Remember, this is a sermon letter written to a particular group but it's applied to us just the same. We're the recipients of this letter today and this morning. It applies to every one of us. So the author's warnings, his encouragements, they all apply to every one of us. Thirdly and lastly, therefore, since it does apply to us, we need to come boldly and quickly to the table this morning. We need to remember what we hold fast to and what we hold lightly to. And last week we talked about that in the way of application. Is mean our culture can shape us so much. We can find that we're holding cultural values tightly and church values loosely. And we need those sobering moments to examine our hearts and be like, whoa, I'm doing it again. I'm grasping 
petty things and holdly loosing, holdly, loosely holding on to the most important things. And so myself included, every one of us this morning, we need to come to the table with this sermon from the author of Hebrews in mind to check your heart, guard your heart. Have you held on loosely to the things you must hold on firmly to? The author of Hebrews would say, profess your faith. Proclaim it. Sing it. Don't let go of it. And persevere to the end in that faith through whatever trial is going to present itself against you and your family. And it will. Remember Jesus' words in the pastoral prayer. It's going to happen. You will be persecuted for Him in some way. Jonathan Edwards about suffering and trial said this, Trials have a tendency to distinguish, to distinguish between true religion and false. And to cause the difference between them evidently to appear. Which is to say, you and I will find out what our faith really is once we have to suffer for it a little bit. Once we're persecuted for it. We'll find out how deep that faith goes. And the author of Hebrews said, examine your heart, discern your heart, don't let go of Jesus. Don't even think about giving up your good profession on His name. Philippians chapter 3 says the same thing in its own way. And some of you know this passage. You've memorized this passage. I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so that's the sum of the sermon this morning in chapter 3 and what it's all about. Press on. Press on through suffering. Press on through doubts. Press on through persecution. Press on in faith in the Lord Jesus. And that is said in a Christian culture in 2022 in America where we have for generations heard the gospel preached in a way that it's been called easy believism. It's easy to become a Christian. Just get your fire insurance, right? If you don't want to go to hell, then just pray this prayer. And then that's the end of the story. That has nothing to do with the gospel being preached by this author to the Hebrews. He says, you enter into a covenant relationship with the living God, and He is not to be taken lightly. He binds Himself to you like a husband to a wife in a good marriage, in a perfect marriage, and He promises that He is and forever will be your God to you and to your household. That's what's at stake. That's what He says. And, and I'll close with this. It's, it's as if this stunning news, this shocking, hard, disturbing word, it's, it's, it's as if it is supposed to be like smelling salts that bring people out of their sleepiness, out of their stupor, out of their not thinking well, to thinking about truth again, to thinking about reality again. And so that's what he's done for those people, and that's what he's done for us this morning. So this morning, as we prepare to come to the table, let's be clear, clear, clear as can be. It is only by God's mercy, by His grace, 
that any one of us would ever profess faith and persevere in faith. And so we look to Him for that mercy, for that sustaining grace, with the very clear understanding, as the author of Hebrews says, that you need to see to it. It's in the imperative. You see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So it's in the imperative and it's placed upon us, but it's the mercy of God working as a kind of smelling salts, a spiritual smelling salts in our life to help us think rightly again. So if you've been in a season of holding on loosely and not holding on tightly as you should, if maybe you've been thinking more like the world and less like the church, then as we come to the table this morning, this is a God-given experience of taking up bread, taking up wine, being renewed in your faith, going back out those doors and persevering in your faith, your faith in the one true God. Let's pray and then we'll sing and then we'll come to the table with some explanation. Our Father and our God, that is our hope this morning. If, if anyone here would need a turning point, would you be the one who arouses their attention their interest, the passions of their heart, the clarity of their thinking. Would you remind us, Lord, that there is no greater question to ask than the ones the author of Hebrews is pressing upon us. So, Lord, do this by your mercy. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.